Dr. James K. Harris. Well, hello there, Dr. Nick Flores. This feels vaguely racist, but I'll take it. It's definitely not. I actually had in mind (laughs) the cat that is filmed around the corner from a refrigerator, and he's meowing, but it sounds like he's saying, hi there. And I love that meme, because it actually really does sound like he's... The cat is saying, hi there. I know you're going to tell the people what they're listening to, but like, I just need you to know that you are the third person this week that has described a meme to me and it has worked. And I've known exactly what you were talking about. And I want to unpack what's happening inside my brain. We will do that shortly after I introduce our dear listeners to Learning on the Job, a podcast wherein James and I, recent-ish queer PhDs of color, navigate the vast, vast, unwieldy terrain of higher education in the U.S. We present our unique perspectives on all kinds of things from how to contact the tech people to make sure that your computer in your office can actually print to the main printer in color for that one assignment that is vital that the print be in color to um let's see uh making sure that our to-do lists aren't as piled up as the books on our shelves that we've not yet read call it a learning experience uh i felt both of those uh i was also thinking about the experience that i've had this semester of like moving around to different classrooms mm-hmm. and every time i arrive in a classroom realizing that like none of the extensions i need in google chrome have been installed in this particular computer's google chrome and mm-hmm. i don't have permission uh mm-hmm. and so i have to call somebody in to install my ex- it's a thing every time wait before we move on you i'm assuming based on what you've shared that there are kind of AV equipment, including computers in the classrooms that you're in that you use? Is that? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't like and bring we don't, your own laptop? We as teachers don't have administrative access. Well, so those are the ones that are automatically hooked up to the projectors. And we don't, because we're working in the wonderful two-year CUNY system, we have nowhere near the funding to like buy HDMI cords. So we could conceivably Boo. plug our own laptops. And that's not that girl. That ain't happening. You're using Ooh. the computer in the room and the Wait. computer in the room, you know, requires permissions. We don't have. Wait, girl, this like is raggedy, raggedy. No, I, I, Call I your mean, congressman. Cause I, or, what the fuck? Or is it Gates? Was it Gates or no Amazon? Uh, uh, Mackenzie Scott. We don't call her that anymore. Mackenzie Scott. In fact, holy shit, we'll drop this one in the show notes since you brought it up. She just donated like an insane amount of money to Planned Parenthood. So Mackenzie Scott has given away, I want to say, half a billion dollars this year. Uh, She's still richer than she was before the pandemic because billionaires made bank while the rest of us were locked inside our houses afraid to breathe the air. Mm -hmm. Uh, But she is not one of the evil ones and has been just like every chance she gets giving it away hand over fist it's incredible to behold i i I have nothing but respect i have no choice but to stand please yes and we'll be sure and get that up on the show notes uh i did not know that wow but also circling back wow i cannot imagine having to call someone to do the extension on Google Chrome and oh, ooh, I, um, I, I definitely use my own equipment. Like I use the laptop, the university laptop, and then I purchased this equipment that we're actually using for the podcast personally. But I also take that with me into the classroom because better, you know, audio, better visual. Um, yeah. So yeah, yeah, no, wow. it's heartbreaking. I have way better equipment than the classroom does, but like I can't hook up to the screen. And I've tried screencasting, but then that requires permission on the computer you're screencasting wow. to. Yeah. Oof. Wow. It is a maze and a clusterfuck. 
Uh, and so that I think is my check. And honestly, in the spirit of checking in, I just want to drop because I did Google it because uh, I needed to know. Mackenzie Scott has donated more than $12 billion. Would you like to know where our good girls $12 billion have gone? Because it's mostly education and women's rights. Let Again, I have no choice but to stand. Let it's us schools know. on top of schools. It's the it's Planned Parenthood. It's the let's see here. Oh, we've got Boys and Girls Club. So lots of money mm. to the Girls and Boys Club of America, community schools, Habitat for Humanity, Planned Parenthood. All those are going to be over $100 million. She's also given wow. away tons of money to historically black colleges. Uh, she, as we mentioned here on this show, gave like, I think, 50 million last year to the CUNY colleges, mm-hmm. most of which was earmarked for schools, not mine. Uh, and so while we love Borough of Manhattan Community College, it, I didn't love watching them get the money. But again, <laughs> we have no choice but to stand. Mackenzie mm-hmm. Scott, the only good billionaire, will eat her last. Well, thank you for that rundown and those earmarks uh, of all of the f- monies being thrown at important causes. And here's to hoping that we get to see some of that someday. Honestly, I suspect we all will in ways we don't know we have, because that's what happens when billionaires decide to spend. I mean, you know, like Carnegie, like if you Mm -hmm. spend your money in ways that actually don't destroy the planet, if you leave your legacy to money that goes to things that don't destroy the planet, your name will be associated with things people will in some way experience. It's a good way to buy back your soul. And it begs some real, real interesting questions about what she's trying to buy back her soul from. But I am not looking this gift horse in the mouth. I'm taking these checks. Here, here. Well, in the spirit of, <clears throat> you know, maybe better, I'm making a stretch here. Our next segment after the check-in is failing better. James, would you like to let our listeners know what this segment entails? Of course I would, because it gives me an opportunity to return to one of my all-time faves. It's Samuel Beckett. It's not Waiting for Godot, but rather Worstward Ho, where Beckett reminds us, ever tried, ever failed, no matter. Try again. Fail again. Fail better. And so it's the segment where we do that. We try again. Fail again. Fail maybe just a little bit better. Uh, and this one feels like maybe it's going to hit a little closer to home. Friend, what are you thinking? Yeah, so thank you for letting us know. I wanted to pivot from the, really from the internet and kind of us scrounging around to figure out, you know, items to fit into the segment and actually bring it more home, closer to home anyway, and take the opportunity to, you know, use this segment to also check in about how we're feeling better, or at least, you know, I could start and you don't have to share, but I think that for me, one of the things that weighs me down consistently is likely something that weighs many in our positions down, or those of us going through the academy is the imposter syndrome, right? The idea that I am not good enough, or that I'm not supposed to be here, or that I'm not a worthy or enough to complete or do the things that I have set out to do, but also that I have been given responsibility to do, whether that's the teaching service or the research. Uh, But for me here lately, I, in light of what feels like a very chaotic semester for me, have felt a little bit of solace and comfort uh, and kind of a healthy challenge in really being on top of my kind of research agenda this semester. Um, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before my growing love for spreadsheets. And if only I knew that spreadsheets could offer so many amazing features that ultimately do make my life just a little bit easier. Um, you know, 10 years ago, I think I would actually probably be close to running a state i won't say the world but like a state like give me a good spreadsheet um and so i bring this up because i have been able to hit some marks not because of spreadsheets but because of you know my utilization of them but also my work effort in getting 
things in when they need to be in to the right people, you know, basically things are starting to align the Tetris game that I've been playing, you know, I'm finally hitting those shapes where they need to be and I'm getting the points and it feels really good. Um, and so I just want to acknowledge maybe for myself just momentarily, and if only briefly, the failing better of Nick's uh, foray into spreadsheet, but also a clear sense of kind of the research agenda. Um, and that being a tie and that being attached to and tied to things like a manuscript workshop that I'm working on things like, you know, getting, you know, things in the pipeline so that they can come out in a reasonable time during my like tenure track process. Um, getting, you know, contracts from publishers that I thought and had forgotten about because they were submitted pre pandemic or just right as the pandemic started and you know, finally getting those in the inbox about, oh yeah, please sign your name here. We're planning to get, you know, this out, hopefully late summer, early fall. So it feels like I'm feeling better in, in ways that I think I have a system of organizing and of, you know, keeping track of things that I only feel like I've sharpened out of necessity. And so in that way, I feel like I have been feeling better because I realized that some of the systems and ways that I've been operating previously were effective for me at the time, but I have grown. I am leveling up, if you will. And mm -hmm. the spreadsheets by my side, I am like a character in the game, you know, on the next level and kind of on that next quest. Speaking of, I uh, had just started playing the new Kirby game. <gasps> love it. Absolutely love Holy it. Holy shit. Don't, because we will... Just don't, don't. How dare you? So we're putting that way at the end. Hang on until we get to, uh, you know, the thing we end with. What are you thinking? Because mm -hmm. all I'm thinking is, oh, holy shit. Holy shit. It's incredible. Mm -hmm. um, you said mm -hmm. a thing that had me thinking about a thing that I saw on the internet that just like, I feel like so brilliantly encapsulates how I've been sort of moving into my own kind of adulting, which is like, I don't know, it was just this stupid thing on Tumblr by someone who was like, look, my life's been so much better since I traded my imposter syndrome to brilliant con man syndrome, which is just like, you know, like, am I fooling the whole world? Of course I am. But like, great for me. Yes, I know nothing. I'm stupid. And I'm still here anyway. There's something so liberating about the idea that like, you're, you're doing the thing you are enough. This is this is it. If if it's a con, you're doing it amazingly well, like you are the best con man there ever was because here you are doing the damn thing. And so to that, all of that, I say, God, I love it. Organized King. You know, I stand Nick mm -hmm. Flores. I mean, come on, what's not to love? I love this for you. I love this. I appreciate and I'm in awe of your ascendancy. Uh, all of it, all of it. Yay. Mm. Thank you, thank you. I really, I, I love a spreadsheet. I just, I don't know what my reluctance about them was. I mean, they're, they're intimidating, right? But uh, thank you. Also Tumblr, we're gonna circle back to that one for a second. Also, um, <laughs> you, you can like do all kinds of really fun things. It's just a matter of like taking the time to like learn the skill because it's definitely a skill um, in the way that I think during the dissertation years, I learned Microsoft Word out of necessity. Yep. Like, yep, yep. like really learned way, it. Like, like, oh, it can be citations for yes. you. Although yes. that's not true anymore, by the way, if you're using MLA, get on well, out. Well, it is true if you're using the AP, Zotero. Anything else? Well, well, the, well, also, I use the Zotero plugin. So Ooh, that okay. for me yeah, no, is what Zotero has not let us down. Love Zotero. And I think Microsoft is letting them do the heavy lifting. It, I love it. Anywho, I had been intimidated like many others by spreadsheets. And now I'm like a total, you know, advocate for and... I just, they're just so, you can distill so much. And, um, <laughs> Look, everybody's out, got their niche also, and I love out, this for you. Go. Shout out to Noah Tamarkin, a co-advisor on my dissertation committee who for one semester when I didn't teach, but was instead a research associate for him. Thank you for that, by the way, that saved me. Um, 
had me fill like basically do a spreadsheet for him on some like news articles and academic articles. And he had this system that at the time I was like, you know, this is so, I mean, it is, it's, it, it can be kind of the, the grunt boring work, right. Where you're like taking information, but his system that I've reflected back on it was so brilliant that I've like tried to, to start my own with like, you know, especially source materials and citations and that kind of thing. Um, so just shout out to Noah and all the other spreadsheet folks out there. And, you know, if you have any tips on spreadsheets, please let us know. Uh, please let me know, really. Definitely um, you're letting Nick know. And I appreciate <laughs> but I But do send them. Because uh, yeah. tips are, oh, I mean, you know, community of learning. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I guess in that spirit, I don't know. I think I've mostly just been like, I think I'm reaching the point in my job where I think I understand how to negotiate interacting with administration. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's felt really satisfying. So like we do uh, annual reviews, but then also like year five is decently big as a review. Uh, year six is the big sort of promotion review. Uh, and then year seven is technically tenure, although it's kind of unofficial that if you get promoted, you will also be tenured. Uh, and so six is sort of the big one. And so I am at four now and working my way up to the sort of big number. And it's been about the game of trying to learn names and get people to know who you are and care mm-hmm. that you are here. Mm-hmm. And I think I've finally like, first of all, I think I've finally met all of the administration. Like, I think I finally know all their faces. I think, I think at this point, if I walked into a room with all the administration in the college, I will, I can at least say I've been in one meeting with all of those people. Uh, and so that's a nice place to be again, college level, not university level by any means. Uh, but like, at the college level, I think I'm getting there. Uh, and I also think I'm starting to understand, like, you know, the politics of it. I had a teaching review this last year or this last week, rather, that was really good. And one of the things that was like helpful feedback from the person who was reviewing me, who was also a person on our planning and budgeting committee, which is the people that make the department level decision about tenure, was just like, you know, you're in it now. So it can be helpful to start wrapping your head around like, what are the teams and how do they work and how do you negotiate how to interact with the different factions? Um, And I think I'm, I think, knock on wood i think i'm starting to understand this in a way that like it seemed completely blind and like obscured to me before Mm -hmm. and so that's been really like it's it sucks that so much of the work we do here makes no sense outside of like the specificity of our jobs like there's nothing really like translatable about the skill set except like i guess interpersonal politicking sure Mm -hmm. but like i mean i can't publish an article on it i can't like teach a class about it uh but i have i think really started to work my way through like what does it mean to exist in this kind of administrative space kudos dr harris i mean if it is one thing that i know that intimidates me it's like not just introducing but even writing emails to upper level administration you know the deans yep yep, yep executive officers whatever like, the titles may be what do you call them yeah, how do they call how did, themselves right, how right, formal right. versus informal right. all of it and that's like not a small endeavor and so you know i am forever and always proud of you but also i'm glad that you are hitting your stride in this area because it's one that unfortunately everyone in academia has to do right like Absolutely. It's, it's not a option whether or not we get to interface or encounter interact with administration right um and depending on where you are i think overwhelmingly it's still the case that at least seems to be the case here you know a lot of the administration um at the kind of dean's level provost level even are themselves formerly academics right and so they also have a sense of you know what it's like to go through tenure and promotion but also, you know, hopefully have kept some of their humanity intact and they're not kind of capitulated to, you know, simply spreadsheets and enrollment numbers and funding, you know. Yes, certainly that. Like, it's always nice to be able to put a human face to administration. Right, right. Because they exist. Exactly. They exist everywhere. So that's exciting. And, you know, I hope that it is only advantageous for you 
these look i think that like in person is where i am if nothing else the least threatening like i will never read as a person who's coming for your job because i am simply not i like mine too much <laughs> hmm. yeah in full disclosure i am not looking for admin roles nope wouldn't do it but if I you think, offered it to me but i think that you know based on it's funny that you say that because i i felt kind of it, it stirred me personally because <laughs> I think that my interest in how I organize and translating that not only in the classroom, but also in my interpersonal relationships among my colleagues, you know, has been kind of recognized in a way that they're like, yeah, oh, no, you have department have chair written all over you. Whether and I'm you not know doing it, not. it. I don't want okay. it. Okay. Famous last words. Look, happening. I say I'm not doing department chair and people go, yeah, we knew. You say you're not doing department chair. People go, okay, we'll see. I'm not doing it. But I'm not. I'm fully not. I will simply not answer the emails. <laughs> I am not above it. Oh, oh. Girl, there's a, I have a whole inbox of drafts that I've not yet sent that also need to get sent out. Um, so thank uh, you for bringing me back to reality. Uh, uh, appreciate that. May we take just a very short break if you don't have I anything I think we else? should. I think we must. And then we'll come just back a little from bitty, break. <laughs> just a little bitty, bitty short break. We'll do that. I like it. Every time it just in my head I hear back back in a New York groove, but that feels too specific, too local, too, you know, like people in to the city you. think the world doesn't exist beyond the city. To you, indeed. That yes, that, very that. Yeah. Um, so we are back and we are now moving on to our disingenuous argument segment, wherein James and I take the time to unpack deconstruct those various strawman arguments which we seem to be living in an age of abundant strawman arguments these days that are gaining traction uh you know go back to the other episodes to see what we mean by this but basically we instead of rolling our eyes at the headlines we're actually going to engage the content so that's where we you know do this thing um in the podcast and I want to turn it over to my dear friend James to get us started. Yeah. So you will have seen the show notes for this thing cuz you clicked on it, which means you've seen this this list. Uh and I'm calling it we're calling it I don't know, something like the great banning ing or whatever cuz how <laughs> how to make sense out of what's happening. So like I feel like I've been sitting on this story for about a year now and i haven't really said anything because i'm not entirely sure like because this feels like a disingenuous argument because mm -hmm. it feels like it's an intent an attempt to sort of bait us into a conversation about nothing so that the entire terms of how we move forward have been determined by people who want like our own suffering as an outcome right and at some level i haven't known how to deal with what is the very real and deeply aggressive ascension of book banning as a political mm -hmm. strategy in America. So this is like all over the place. So we've done now a couple episodes about Florida and we don't have to do that again because why would we focus on Florida when it's also North Dakota and it's also Iowa and it's also Texas and it's also every target in America and it's also, and, and, and I don't, I don't have a great 
doorway out of this one. And mm-hmm. so I think maybe I'm just going to dive all the way into what I find so profoundly unsettling about it. So like, as I'm sure I've mentioned a trillion times, I'm working on a project about young adult literature. And it's the young adult in particular has been one of the real flashpoints around like what is and isn't knowable knowledge, what is and isn't a tellable story. And in mm-hmm. particular, like queer young adult stories and young adult stories about people of color experiencing the realities of being a person of color in America seem to be the things at the top of the chopping block for like what is impossible, unknowable, unspeakable, unprintable, un sort of like purchasable for your school library. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it is a concerted and coordinated effort, again, by people who want you to not be focusing on climate change, on income inequality, on all the things that are ripping the country apart at the seams. Because like one half of this country really thinks that the way they're going to get us to vote for them is by starting war in Ukraine. And the other half seems to think they're going to get us to vote for them by starting a culture war. And we're living in the middle of this very strange culture war that mm-hmm. just couldn't feel more Nazi Germany if we were actually in Nazi Germany. Like there are, I mean, we did the whole, we did the, like, it was a whole meme story about the pastor who was burning books and a lot of them were just Twilight. And it seemed Mm -hmm. like a joke or whatever, but it didn't really, I don't know how to, I don't know how to process this. This feels like I can't tell to what extent this is political theater because this is where I wanted it to land. Like I Mm -hmm. was comfortably ignoring this because this feels like the kind of political theater that a certain strain of white conservatism really, really leans into. Like they love a a witch burning, right? Like they've been doing it for Mm -hmm. centuries. Like get all of our anxiety located inside this one object, burn the object and be done with it. And we can mostly ignore that because it seems deeply unserious But again, you're looking at the list. You can see it in front of you. It's the country. It's all over. It's not just Mm -hmm. one place. It's what's happening in America. And I don't quite know how to sound the alarm loudly enough to get us all on the same page of, hey, burning books is bad, right? Right, right. I mean, let's, let's, let's do a little circling back and a little more unpacking. So... The, the 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 books themselves like so what is it that you know is being banned primarily lgbtq themed and or related adjacent topics race okay yes racism, absolutely yes right, right, right. sorry yes i do want to hop in here though and stress mm-hmm. that like but not really because the uh, okay. thing that got everybody's attention the story that caught everybody's eye was mouse which got mm-hmm. banned as utah said because it had depictions of penises right so like the problem with mouse was not it's the the stated issue with mouse was not like the representation of the holocaust it wasn't the fact that it's about nazism it was the fact that it's a book where kids might see a dick and the reason mm-hmm. kids might see a dick is because it depicts concentration camps right where the people where, where the people were not allowed to be clothed mm-hmm. and so like there is fundamentally a kind of disingenuous argument running around inside of this book banning apparatus because a lot of it is about critical race theory and the sort of fuzziness around the language of what counts as sufficiently (laughs) critical race theory but that fuzziness is so fuzzy that it has now ensnared mouse a text that is simply not critical race theory like it is simply not right to kill a mockingbird Again, a perennial must ban. But like, it's 2022. We're still banning to kill a fucking mockingbird? It, it seems to know no end, this, this banning, but also this concerted effort, this energy, this ideological inflected experience of and targeted effort toward difference, right? Um, in, 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 in iterations or in forms that make zero to no sense logically based on the purported, you know, the, the way that people are talking about banning books and what kind of content is to be banned. And that is, it is unsettling. And I think that, you know, I'm actually starting to catch on to your alarm a little bit more as we are like talking about this and the tailed banning books, burning books, right? As the telltale sign of shifts into uh, 
fascism that I think very subtle hints of it operate and are operationalized in this country, right? But that are also making themselves uh, all the more heard. Okay, I'm sorry. Present. Heard, felt, heard. Absolutely. This does not feel like a small shift. Like it's, this is what I mean about the alarm. Like it feels like it's I mean it, it's like I keep falling back on climate change because it mm -hmm. seems like another metaphor for a thing that like the world's on fire and we're just pretending it's not. But like this isn't a small they literally burned books. And the mm -hmm. books they were burning were Twilight and Harry Potter. And it's not entirely clear to me who's even still reading Twilight and Harry Potter. But, like, also, like, what the threat is. So, so the response is, this knowledge must be rendered unknowable. Mm -hmm. And this is, like, actually a bit... <laughs> I mean, isn't this the whole thing? This is the whole point of banning critical race theory. This is the entire, like, part and parcel of, again, what one half of our political system has become. And, like, the only answer is to erase the past. And erasing the past isn't in service of producing a future that doesn't have the baggage of the past. It's simply about maintaining a status quo where nobody has any good understanding of why they're so upset. And so you get this weird discourse out of Florida's Don't Say Gay bill, right? About how, mm -hmm. like, you can ban things that make you uncomfortable. Because the idea here is, like, ideas that are discomforting are ideas that must be, in some way, like, eliminated from the public discourse. But what you left with is, as Morgan Parker might suggest, other people's comfort. And other people's comfort fucking keeps me up at night. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think the way that the... Well, not just Florida, but like the rendering knowledge unknowable, but also this other argument that I think is launched, especially when we're discussing youth, adult, like youth, adolescent children, right? Is that the knowledge that I mean, outright banning in your in this instance, right? But also undergirding this, I think, is also this idea that they can't know because they're too young to know or that they they can't. Like they actually can't fully understand, right? Like what the content is relaying. And so it becomes like this really bizarre, like move. Then you have people like fucking Ted Cruz talking about the 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 book making babies racist or anti-racist, right? Where like that same logic about, well, they can't understand. And then using that in the more recent like trial hearings is itself an inversion of that logic aimed at trying to get rid of the books, right? But it, it is premised on like a shared understanding of what is good and what is not good. And in this instance, we are, I mean, I'm making the distinction, racism bad, anti-racism good, right? And maybe that's too quick and fast, but I think that that is also a, that's also at play here, which, which I think is catching my attention a little bit more because of again this the, these logics of you know the knowledge as you've pointed out james it, it it must be a noble we must like eliminate it completely and the way to do that is to keep it out of people's hands burn it right or ban it and the the uh, the effects of that not just that people don't get to read those books but that you know what you're pointing to and i think that what the urgency here is that the i that the ways that we can understand the frameworks, the language, the rhetorical strategies are themselves at risk and at stake of being also lost, right? At and I think the levels. I, absolutely all that. Absolutely all that. That feels right and correct and true to me. I also just think like, I mean, okay, so let me get on my English nerd soapbox for just a second and say that I don't think books are just books. I think mm -hmm. books are representations of how we move through the world. And the banning of books is about the banning of the ability to move through the world in certain ways, right? Like the limiting of what's knowable here is also about the attempt to erase, like, it's, it's, you see this from conservatives now that feel, it feels like they think they've lost the fight about gays they can't put the gay genie back in the bottle but they can mm -hmm. stop these transgenders right like that's a new thing we can make that not happen and so the new energy is all around like banning transgender athletes from sports and making sure that children don't have conversations about gender identity in school because like if we don't expose them to a thing then that's that the possibility that books index becomes 
unknowable, right? Like there's a reason that literature is so incredibly powerful. There's a reason mm-hmm. some of us spend our lives studying it or whatever. Mm-hmm. Cause like the idea is that like, it's, they're not just books. They are the way we communicate the limits of possibility in the world. They're the way we express to each other how we could live better. And mm-hmm. the banning of that is about the banning of like, even the potentiality for how we could do better. And it seems like that's really concerning in a way that I don't know if we're appropriately incensed or concerned about. Like, I get that, like, nobody reads anymore, so who cares? But the point is, like, so this is specifically targeted at the teeny tiny handful of kids who would read and would Mm -hmm. seek this out. And what it's saying is, like, your way of being in the world is not a way of being that we will allow to happen. And if you think they're not getting that message, you have fundamentally misunderstood how people work. Mm -hmm. So in one of the show show notes, um, there's actually a shorter... I don't know if it's a new segment. I think it's a new segment um, that I was listening to right before we got started that James sent over. And, you know, there there's a whole part of the segment where they have children and preteens talking about the idiocracy of banning books and precisely what you have just articulated, that segment that is for themselves articulating, this is not okay because I want to read what I want to read and have, you know, access to ideas and worlds and the world making potentials that, as you've so eloquently articulated, James, you know, books have. And so, you know, I would encourage anyone listening to this podcast also to bump over to that one. And I will have to, um, I think it's in WNYC Studios. I think maybe that's where it was. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. But, but I mean, just to, just to kind of kind of bring what you're saying into, you know, the four, like where we're, we're hearing children talking about the ridiculousness of banning books. And so, um, yeah. But also, my God, we're hearing children explain to us both that we should what? not destroy mm-hmm. the planet they have to live on and we should stop burning <laughs> the books they're trying girl, to read. What girl, the literal fuck it. is this shithole? How... Has it gotten this bad? Wait, I think that that is uh, because that is we planted seeds in blood and shit, and that's how. And this is what we reaped. Well, there it is. I figured it out. You heard it here first. Learning on the job. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, man. But certainly, we urge everyone to support your local libraries, support your local librarians, um, among other things. This is a part where I feel compelled to suggest that we could drop show notes of where to donate, but genuinely, this feels like such a big and like unwieldy issue that I don't know who, I, should, I can't wrap my head around where you'd start. We should send a note to John Oliver, because that man has some sway. And if he did a whole, maybe he already has done a segment on banning books. Um, but... So that I think is maybe my point. Like I fear <laughs> that he's used his sway, and we're here. Really? You think? So? I don't think I. I don't think we're the first person people to mention that book banning in America is uh, on the ascendancy, and we should all be very alarmed. Yes. Literal Nazi I, shit. I mean, I'm not. I take your point, but I don't think me saying that we send a letter to John Oliver to then do a Look, no, do, I'm just saying, like, like, like I don't know that he hasn't he may, covered it. He may, I think, he like, may. it's possible that this is just not an unwieldy problem. No, I hear you. Books. I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. And what I'm suggesting is that the potential of having John Oliver do it is that he may he may be able to do things that's his that's his shtick right is that it's not just like we're gonna talk about this we do it let's see yes 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 um anyway we're straying donate if you can (laughs) support your local library support your local librarians support your local library and buy the band librarians my god you know i mean there's also so i mean before we end this i mean i had a colleague i mean we had we have a colleague at osu um who is actually a dear friend of mine uh professor astley hope perez whose book made 
whose book Out of Darkness made a really big splash in this kind of conversation on banned books because last year, 2021, uh, in Austin, Texas, there was a parent at a local board uh, school board meeting talking about this book Out of Darkness. I've actually taught this book uh, in a few of my classes while I was at OSU. And she was always so generous and would come into the class and, you know, offer, you know, remarks and students would get to engage with her. Uh, but, you know, she responds to this video and it has become a, um, you know, a kind of mini storm in this larger climate catastrophe of book banning. Um, and, you know, having her books, she is a Texas native, writes about uh themes in Texas. Um, you know, so we're going to drop her, her, her book and her link in the show notes as well. Uh, support her if you can, uh, please. So Ooh, that's the best kind of charity. Then you get a book, do that, do mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Buy the band books. Mm, I like this. This mm -hmm. is a charity I will always get behind. <laughs> um, man, friend, Every time I feel like we slog through the worst part, but then I get to do the fun part, which is I get to ask you, what should you read? Ooh, and I love this question. And right now I am reading Archiving an Epidemic, Art, AIDS, and the Queer Chicanx Avant-Garde by uh, Professor Rob Hernandez. And it is really comprehensive, actually. And... It is um, really well done. Uh, there's actually a few artists in the the text that Hernandez analyzes that I'm also thinking about, you know, thinking with and alongside some of their artworks. And so it's been really um, important to engage this text, uh, one that has been on the shelf, but only recently because of conversations that I've been having with colleagues has it kind of come back to come back in the mix for me. And so now I'm really taking some time to, to, to work through it and work through some of the really important kind of historical and cultural history that is um, kind of a thrust of, of this book in particular. So that's what I'm reading. James, what are you reading? Or uh, what you reading? Friend. <laughs> First of all, that sounds really, like, actually really good and interesting, um, and I will be checking it out. Uh, when I have some time, when I'm not reading, uh, Alvin Henry's new, I guess new, yeah, new book, Black, Black Queer Flesh, Rejecting Subjectivity in the African-American Novel. Uh, so I came to this thing because I'm writing now a section of my chapter on Alice Childress that's about, like, protest literature, uh, and he's a really, really good read of uh Richard Wright and thinking about sort of protest literature and Richard Wright and sort of like Richard Wright more broadly but specifically Native Son uh and it is it's look a lot of people have attempted a queer reading of Native Son and I don't know if many of them have been successful this one works mm. uh and so I'm 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 endlessly obsessed with how it works because it shouldn't work because I've seen a bunch of people try this and it has not been successful uh, and so there's some other pieces here that I'm really intrigued about there's a chapter about invisible invisible man and race disability and queer underworlds mm. uh, there's some really really and so it is a text that's all about like rethinking black uh, Harlem Renaissance and black modernism texts and sort of like moving beyond the question of subjectivity moving beyond it, it, it's it's a really it's an interesting book um, mm. that I'm only just beginning to sort of approach as book as whole. Uh, Cause I started again with the sort of uh, work on Richard Wright and, and putting it into the whole like collective project. It's really, really interesting and intriguing. Uh, and as a rule, I don't read books about straight black men because straight niggas are the most exhausting people on the planet. Case in point, the Oscars. Uh, but Oop. like, you know, there's some, there's a there there and this book's maybe worth your time. Thank you for your synopsis. And I'm looking at it now online and I don't, did you mention Larson? 
No, also that. Yeah, that go on. Like I mean, I mean, okay, you know. this is the one I don't need because like I've read a trillion Larsons and I'm not convinced. Really, but the rest of it I'm here for all day, every day. <sighs> no Larson, so good. Well, no, thank you. No Larson, um, a fucking icon. Truly, truly ahead of her time. Um, wow. So thank you for the recommendation. As always, you have the best. No, it's a good one. It's a good one. This is a good one. Yeah, I'm just. I mean, they're all good, but like really. Right, right, right. This This, is fun. This seems. Yeah. Ooh. Well. Uh, friend. Yes. Books on books. What I I need to know. I need to know. What are you thinking? Ooh, what am I thinking right now? I am thinking that I. reluctantly may need to reevaluate my relationship to coffee and it's it's a little bit of it's a little bit of a devastating topic if only because yeah i've only understood my 18 year old self to the present moment you know through coffee um (laughs) and i love it love coffee love the taste love the texture, love the, you know, don't always love the lack of fair trade or the way that it gets, you know, into consumers' hands in the United States. Um, so always making a concerted effort to buy locally and or locally sourced. Um, but I, you know, can't have it past like 2 p.m. because otherwise I'll be up late. I don't know mm-hmm. that I'm a tea person. I'm drinking tea now because it is a little later that we're recording this. Um, but if I had any coffee after 2 p.m., it's just like done. Also, you know, it's it's always affected my digestive system. But I feel like here more recently, it's just been like vi- just like awful to me. Um, and like that's really hard because I, you know, have an automatic drip machine that gets set and I wake up and it, the coffee is there for me. But if I'm feeling extra bougie. I will, you know, pour myself, you know, my single cup pour over and go about my day. But I'm thinking I might need to, you know, make a few adjustments and it's a little hard. And yeah, but that's what I'm thinking. Friend, what are you thinking? First of all, I (laughs) feel so seen and I love this for you. Um, I remember having a similar revelation around about, honestly, I think it was basically when I started here. So like after the visiting assistant professorship where like you're still in the market basically. Right. So you're still like mainlining caffeine and that's how you live. Uh, Mm. and then like I got into my actual job and I was like, oh, I think maybe I can't drink coffee like all day (laughs) as my primary beverage because it might be hurting me. Yeah, um, and yeah. it's it's a real like because it's such a ritual thing, right? Yes. Like there's so many steps in the it's like it's a part of how you start the day. It's mm-hmm. like a whole thing, and so like erasing that means you have to like figure out what you're gonna do with the rest of the day. And yeah, so I love this for you, and mm-hmm. I love this journey, and I'm sure you'll I'm definitely figure gonna it check out. in. I'm definitely gonna check in about this. Um, that y- you saying that like bloodline or like coffee being kind of the main bloodline or means of survival. Very briefly, I remember in undergrad, I would, and well, first of all, I don't know why they kept the coffee shops open so late, but yeah, they did, did on campus. Yeah, well, did. I mean, I know exactly why they did. Yeah, I was I was purchasing, you know, 12, 16 ounce cups of coffee at 8, 9, sometimes 10 p.m. to start work. Like homework. Um, in my hometown That is Dayton, so not good. In my hometown, Dayton, Ohio, when I was growing up, the only thing that was open, truly the only thing that was open 24 hours that you could go to if you were like not drinking age was Waffle House or Mm. Starbucks. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so like the idea that you would just be up at 2 a.m. drinking coffee because where the fuck else do you have to go? (sighs) Pretty normal to me. Man, I definitely had to unlearn that. Mm hmm. Uh, and so, the, so to close out, what yes. I'm thinking about is what I mentioned before, Kirby. Oh my God, <sighs> there's a new Kirby. It's yes. called Kirby in the Forgotten Land. And when I tell you, 
I have such a soft spot. First of all, I love platformers. I just like all of them. They're a genre of game that I'm very into. Just like hop from place to place. There's something calm and meditative about Mm -hmm. it. I love a cartoon. And these are giant, bright cartoons. Uh, And honestly, like if we had more time, I'd spend forever explaining to you why I think Mario's the one that wants you to learn more. Yoshi's the one that wants you to do better. Kirby's the one that wants you to do everything. Like there's something about Kirby as a gameplay aesthetic that's just like, what if we gave you everything you wanted and got out of the way and we just let you have fun and there's no game here except just have the best time you can have it has been such a it's pleasure it's joyful in a world where like it feels like so often art has to be like punishing you so that you Mm -hmm. can learn something like it's supposed to be hard or suffering like kirby is joyful and And it's just hard not to love it's just absolutely precious. I cannot get over all of the new items that he can become. Oh my God, he becomes just, a vending machine. It's stupid. It is so it's funny. So dumb. Oh, it's so, so good. Just I, joyful. I it's will say, just, uh, I think my favorite thus far is the car. Like, because he's not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he's just a top. And his little feet. <laughs> in the back it's so precious uh i do love the water uh, balloon have you gotten to the water balloon the water balloon is fun yeah the water balloon is just like because he's just like yeah. a little he's like he's, he's, he's like waddling. that episode of the simpsons where homer like gets up to 500 pounds or whatever he looks like that lost on me glad it reminds you of that <laughs> um no kirby and i'm not a gamer but i remember paying playing kirby, kirby. is a game for people who are not gamers. PlayStation 1. And... Yep. Because like, yeah. gamer is like a title you get if you like the competition and the punishment. Like mm. Kirby, again, wants you to have fun. It's like, it's what if what if cute. games are just fun? What if you just enjoyed them? What if like it's a little challenging, sure, but mostly you're just having fun. a great time. Mostly fun. Mostly fun. And I love <sighs> that for us. Yes, indeed. Same. I'm glad, I'm glad we're on the same page about this one, too. Um, I don't know what so I would have... I don't know what if it would have been like if you had, you know, completely trashed it. Um, oh, no. If you didn't like might... Kirby, we couldn't be friends. <laughs> I don't have yeah. friends that don't like yeah. Kirby. He's a smash a bar- mainstay. That is a excellent barometer True. for friends. Um, well, Dr. James K. Harris, but James, as I, <laughs> as I know you, I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you for all of your insights and for, you know, talking about everything with me. It you know, at moments it feels very high energy, but I never, for, you know, I never, or rather I always land on the comfort of knowing that I have someone in this world who is also, you know, doesn't see everything as I see it, but helps me see things better. So I appreciate you. I love you, friend. I love doing this with you. We'll continue until, you know, at least until they tenure us. And then, and only then. <laughs> All right. All right, friend. See you soon. Bye.